Check out award-winning Johnson & Boone Solicitor's unique product, Legal Guard. Ideal for businesses and individuals, Legal Guard ensures you get the legal help you need when you need it. Packages start from just £24 a month and include free expert advice, access to a library of legal documents, as well as exclusive discounts on a range of services. For more information, visit johnsonandboone.co.uk forward slash legal guard and quote the code FITCHESH. You're listening to Johnson & Boone Solicitors Podcast exclusively on the pod station. Welcome everyone to episode 30 of the Johnson & Boone podcast. My name's Mark, I'm the host. Joining me this week for the second in a four-part series is uh, Rob Boom of uh, Johnson & Boone fame. How are we doing, Rob? Evening, Mark. How's it going? It's very good. How are you? I've already asked you that question. I, 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 that's how concerned I am about your welfare, Rob. <laughs> Um, so if you're listening to this show uh, you will want to check out the first episode because as we mentioned this is the first of four parts isn't it Rob? Yeah it is so we're doing a four part series on asset purchases um, and share purchases but we're just going to break it down into four sections so last week we did the due diligence section in which people can go back and have a listen if they want this year, we're, uh, this week, I should say, we're going to move on to talk about share and asset purchase agreements. Then we'll do disclosure, uh, and finally, we'll we'll deal with the issue of completion, and then any other ancillary matters that arise at that time as well. Okay, well, if you're wondering where you can find that previous episode, and indeed the other twenty-eight episodes that came before that. Um, if you go to the Johnson & Boone website, johnsonandboone.co.uk, there's a podcast tab. You'll find them all there. You'll also find links to all of the major podcast platforms. So we're talking about Apple, Google, Spotify, Deezer, Stitcher, um, TuneIn. They're all, uh, we're on all of those. So you can subscribe there. When a show drops, it'll automatically download onto your device of choice. Uh, also, there is a Johnson & Boone mobile app, which is absolutely free to download on both Apple and Android app stores. It's well worth doing. I know we all download these random apps that we never use ever again, but I think this is one that's well worth having there on your phone sitting in the background. First and foremost, it tells you all about the services that Johnson & Boone offer, which is always useful if you're a business owner to have to hand. Um, it has uh, the means where if you do need to book an appointment, whether you're a, a, it's a commercial matter or an individual matter, uh, then you can book a, an appointment with the team through the app, which is really simple and easy. So you can see what times and dates are available based on your convenience. Um, you can also listen to the podcast shows. They're all listed on there, and you can listen to them directly through the app, as well as getting all kinds of other tips and advice. Um, Rob does articles 
from time to time that just give a little bit of extra help uh, with the whole purpose and indeed this links back into the show itself where um, we cover a topic we try and give you some help and some advice so you can hopefully avoid any problems that might arise within that area um, or if you do find yourself in need of some help uh, you will know when best to get that help to minimize the costs and uh, maximize your chances of success that all sounds relatively simple doesn't it rob yeah that's spot on as, as you say it's, it's educational first and foremost just so people can spot problems uh, help themselves in certain situations and as you say know when is best to get that additional help so as to save money in the long term if anything does crop up um, so we've done due diligence last week which you've mentioned which of the other three topics that you mentioned before um, are we going to be doing today so what we're doing is we're doing these in chronological order really so the the stage upon which you will then find yourself in in the overall process of buying or selling a business so today we're, we're covering the contract itself and whether that be a share purchase agreement if you're buying shares or an asset purchase agreement if you're buying specific assets okie dokie um so uh, for the we, we did very briefly cover this in the last episode but for the benefit of anyone who might not have listened to that yet do you want to just briefly explain the difference between a share or an asset purchase yeah generally speaking if you are a company so you are a limited company registered a company's house when you sell your business you'll sell all of your business and in doing that you'll normally just sell the shares so an x amount of the share capital or all of the share capital would be sold it's different if you're not a limited company when it will almost always be an asset purchase and that is when you are um, or the buyer is purchasing specific assets of the business so it could be stock it could be a contacts list uh, it, it could be um, machinery um, often they'll take staff with them so it's when you're listing specific things rather than taking the business as a whole and they are dealt with legally very differently okay where do you want to start then because i'm entirely in your hands here rob so i suppose again the first thing to say is that this is an overview uh, and when we talk each week about different topics we tend to identify the things that people can and can't do themselves depending upon what it is that you're selling and, and obviously the values involved um this is something that someone should never really tackle themselves um, the idea of this is for them to understand what's involved and what will be involved in the process. It would be silly for them to take it on. Um, why would so, you say? Sorry, why would you? Why would you say that? Um, the problem with a business sale and the problem with um, a business purchase is one way or another you have a certain expectation. So if you're the buyer, expect to buy a business that you think you're buying. You don't expect to buy any hidden problems. At the same time, when you're selling a business, you've got to be very careful. You're not representing the business to be different than what it actually is. You're not inadvertently making representations or giving warranties that you shouldn't be given because in both instances, it will lead to disappointment uh, or litigation if, if it goes wrong. Contracts are very complicated. Um, and again, if I've seen situations before where parties have done them themselves and there's complete mismatched expectations as to what has actually been promised and what has actually been agreed and it leads to litigation so 
uh, it's, it's never sensible to try this process on your own. It's important that assets do legally transfer properly. Uh, and it's important that the parties understand the obligations that they're entering into or the promises that they're making so that they can make an informed decision on the transaction as it goes. So you mentioned about the importance of, of the contracts. I think one of the things in particular is the wording of it. I don't think people who aren't in the legal world understand the importance of how things are phrased and the meanings that will be the implication of that. I, I think if people go back to episode 19 um, of the show, they'll um, you talked about the business interruption insurance, which relates to the pandemic and the enormous litigation that's ongoing at the minute where they're trying to determine what the wording of that insurance contract is and the implications that that will have on whether businesses may or may not get paid out uh, as a result of this pandemic yeah the interpretation is a huge issue um as as you quite rightly identify the second thing is if you're doing it yourself you miss out huge chunks of what we would see as fairly standard stuff that needs to go in there. Just for example, let's say there is a dispute. It needs to be clear, doesn't it, that it's the English courts and it's English law that we're relying upon. Now, they're clauses that we would just automatically ensure were in place, but a layperson might not think that because they might just assume, well, I live in England, so I'm okay. But what if the buyer lives in Scotland, for example? That's a completely different jurisdiction. And then you've got an argument as to whether any civil um, dispute later on is, first of all, based on English law or Scottish law, or secondly, is it going to be fought in the Scottish courts or the English courts? So it's it's just things like that people might miss in their entirety, which are really basic stuff as, as long as you're represented. And we often say in these episodes that people underestimate this importance because you only ever really need it when the proverbial hits the fan. Um, the number of times people think with, with the enthusiasm of being able to get on with the buying of this new business and all the exciting plans that they've got to do it, quite often they overlook this slightly important stage, which is basically having some sort of insurance mechanism in place if something goes wrong. Yeah, certainly for a buyer. You know, if you're buying a, if you're buying a business of significant value and the contracts are done right, you very much want to be able to, t- to use the um, the share purchase agreement, let's say, for example, as an insurance policy, because it's going to be filled with promises that the uh, the seller has given you. And if they later turn out to be incorrect, which we'll, we'll talk about in a minute, um, you can rely upon those promises and you can bring claims off the back of them. At the same time, there'll be indemnities in which they're indemnifying that certain things are right. So it very much acts as an insurance policy um, but also it, all the usual things, while we'll, uh, which we've said before in previous episodes, as to why you need contracts with the certainty and to avoid mismatched expectations, all of that stuff still applies. Um, all right. So, uh, again, bearing in mind, people, that this is very much a cursory overview, but you've mentioned one section of these contracts which of course is the jurisdictional element what other general structures and frameworks go into these these documents yeah so if if we start by saying that um most of the documents will start with the definition section and again this is something that a lay person would would probably miss out um the definition section has all of the keywords used within the documents defined so again, there's no 
matched expectations as to what that word means. It's clearly defined and then it's capitalized throughout the documents. So every time we use that term, we know exactly what we mean. It'll also set out um, in, as part of the initial stages of the documents who the parties are, what the transaction is. Um, so as we said before, in a share purchase agreement, it will set out that it's the shares that have been purchased, who from, and is it all of the shares or is it some of the shares, etc. Um, in an asset purchase, it will often refer to a schedule and in that schedule will be a big long list of all the things that are going to be purchased. Um, so that's really the, the, the start of how you get into the contract and the rest of it follows on from there. All right. So um, that's obviously an important section that sets out the story really of, of what it is that everyone's trying to achieve. What about the remainder of the document? So there's lots of what we would call the boilerplate clauses that we'll move on to, to do that. The stuff that is always very bespoke is what will happen in relation to the completion stage, what documents need to be delivered at that stage, how the parties are going to, say, for example, in an asset purchase, how they'll deliver those assets. Um, and that all sort of ties into uh, something that we'll discuss in the in the final um, of the four series, which is all the ancillary matters. And depending upon the size of the transaction, there can be lots and lots of other things that need to be dealt with at that stage. Um, a common example would be one of the shareholders might stay on for a while as a, a consultant, and therefore there needs to be a consultancy agreement. Um, there's often things such as documentation for directors to resign, the passing over of, of keys and, um, and codes for banks and things like that. So it's, it's important that all that's really laid out and thought out in detail. Um, just so it's a smooth uh, operation when the time comes because when you're buying a business as long as if, if, it, if it's going to continue as a going concern you want as little disruption as possible at that stage this will obviously be dependent upon the nature of the agreements as you say the values and indeed the type of businesses that are, are being purchased but what are some of the more key points or even the most contentious elements of a contract that normally undergo more vigorous negotiation yeah the standout issues will be the warranties and the indemnities because they're the things that later on um you can sue on if you need to okay so start with the warranties what are these so a warranty is basically a legal promise so it's a promise from the the seller over to the buyer that x y and z is how they represent it as being. So you'll have things such as they will warrant that there are no claims. They'll warrant that they haven't done anything to employees that they shouldn't have done. They'll warrant that they have all contracts in place. Um, they'll warrant that there's no reason they can think of why um, a major client would walk away, that, that, that sort of thing. Um, when it comes to the warranties, and, and this will, will tie back into uh, the disclosure letter that we'll we'll also speak about in a later episode. Uh, the warranty is the promise which requested in the disclosure letter. If you're unable to give that promise, then you'll 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 give a qualification. So you'll say a certain warranty is accepted, say for, and then you'll disclose something. If you've told the buyers they can't sue you on the basis that they didn't know. 
But again, this is one of those processes that until you've been through it for the first time, which most people haven't been through unless they've sold the business before, they won't understand how onerous it is in terms of getting that right and giving themselves the protection. And the, it, often there's a tussle between each side's representatives because if you're acting for the buyer, you're trying to make sure everything is completely nailed down. If you're acting for the seller, you're trying to make sure that they are certain they're only given the promises that are definitely backable. And this ties back into the previous episode about the due diligence because, of course, you and I look at human life and civilization in a wholly positive framework. Um, but if you were to be slightly more skeptical about humankind uh, and its straightforward honesty generally, uh, there are possibilities that promises will be made by people uh, knowing full well that they could never adhere to those promises um, and also knowing that the consequences that might contain in the contract actually mean very little. So, for example, if you promise to um, pay back any money um, that that has been received by you um, if X, Y and Z don't happen and then it doesn't happen if you've already shifted that money off or if you're essentially bankrupt anyway there'll be no means to come back will there at all so it's an empty promise because a it's not true and b you know that even if you're held to account for it there's nothing that anyone could get from you yeah and that and that forms part of the overall advice that people would receive because if there are it's a business where it's open to there being a lot of potential problems or if the due diligence process has been speeded up in some way or hasn't been fully done then it might be the staging of the payment is the way to do it so there might be an initial payment followed by a period in which you can make proper investigations and make sure that everything is working properly then followed by a final payment and if there are issues that are found and they become claims on the warranties they're valued and deducted so it, it it is really, or it can really be complicated, um, but it, it, it's about identifying where the risks are, and then depending on which side you, of the coin you, 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 you're playing, so are you for the buyer or are you, are you for the seller, your job will be different in terms of what you're trying to do, so as to assist your clients. Now, I very cleverly avoided the word indemnity when I was trying to give my uh, example before because I didn't want to spoil the surprise, which, of course, is dealing with the indemnity section because this ties directly into the warranty. The warranty is a promise, and then the indemnity presumably is what happens if that promise isn't kept. Yeah, sort of. So the indemnity section is is, is often stated separately. So you're right, it, it, it does follow in. The warranties are a load of promises. Um, and it's the promises that you've got to keep. In addition, there are indemnities that are usually given. And these will be things such as, you've told me that all of the tax has been paid. We're talking about the share purchase here. You've told me that all the VAT has been paid. You've told me this, you've told me that. So if that isn't the case, you're going to indemnify us for whatever hasn't been paid. And, and there's often a list of indemnities and, you know, sometimes there's a couple, sometimes there's lots, and that all forms part of the negotiation, and it differs greatly depending on what sector you're in and what the what the various risks are. But indemnities do tend to be more financial than anything else. Um, and they're a, they're a good way as well for the seller to relax the buyer, because if you're willing to give an indemnity 
And if they've done due diligence to make sure that you're able to back that up financially later on and they're satisfied with that, um, it can make the process go quite quickly. So to go back to what we said originally, or rather what you said originally, um, these are things which require a, a, a certain amount of detail and to be carefully thought out, which ties in with the why this isn't something you want to DIY yourself. No, you don't. Uh, this, the solicitors for both parties will often enter into negotiations, not in relation to what the clause is or how the clause is even drafted because the, the drafting of the clause, one word even can make all the difference. So this this definitely isn't an area for DIY. Um, and the way in which we approach it is we, we can keep it cost effective for what the client is trying to achieve. So the smaller value business sales, you can be less onerous on uh, and the client will usually be happy with that. Really high volume, really high value ones, um, they can be as onerous as they want and, and they can afford to spend the time on it. We don't have an entire week to do this podcast, um, so I'm not going to ask you to cover each and every other element of what goes into these agreements. Um, but, I, I mean, to give people an idea, how comprehensive are they? What sort of size of a document are you looking at? So let's say, for example, a really simple one. You might be selling um, a an asset purchase for a calf or something like that. Your document might be sort of 30 pages. If you're selling a million pound IT company, then your document will exceed the 200 to 250 page mark. And that will be, in addition to that, lots and lots of ancillary documents that will add up to in several hundred pages, um, all of which have to all match each other and tie into each other using all the same definitions. Um, so the high value ones are, are very, very onerous. But if you are talking about something which is straightforward, that can obviously and should be watered right down. It can't be a one size fits all because you're not trying to protect the same thing. Again, it very much depends on the nature of the business that's being bought, doesn't it? If you're, you're talking about, for example, IT, you've got lots of intellectual property rights that probably in, need to be determined, patents, things like that. What about staff as well? Staff's probably a, a, a good one, a complex one. Yeah, it's a key issue. So in share purchase agreements, it's very straightforward because the company employed the staff and the company, it's just the ownership of the company that's transferring. So there's no real change for the employees other than somebody else owns the ABC limited who they work for. It's a bit more difficult when it comes to an asset purchase because usually uh, they're transferred up with the asset as a going concern. And then the buyer has to, and, and the seller has to comply with the 2P regulations and make sure all of that's done properly. And there's duties to consult the, the staff, et cetera. Um, so again, that's something that right at the start, when we're first involved, we'll go through a, a discovery process with the client to find out what exactly is happening, what's being transferred. And the staff is one of the things that we'll advise upon, because um, it's very important that the staff are kept involved regardless of of the try of the type of transaction, um, so that they don't feel uneasy about what's going on, because um, you know it's a, a happy workforce will will help the transition of, of any sale in any event. If you've got a situation where one business is being bought by another business and there's going to be a merge of some sort, then again it's even more important that 
staff know nice and early on that their jobs are safe are there going to be any changes you know there'll be anxieties about whether they're going to have to move offices or be be required to, to travel to a different place so the communication element's key but there are some fixed rules in terms of what has to be done as well um and, and we'll always set that out for clients with due diligence, it, which is obviously the step before this, it's very much a team effort. We we spoke about all the different types of of professionals and and services that you might use to um, carry out that due diligence for the likes of accountants and possibly even private investigators. Is there any role that they play in this contract element, or is does that all sort of tie back into the due diligence? No, they stay involved. So really, it's only that would stay involved in, in most of, of the transactions, but they will still be asked to have a look over certain terms and the agreements, for example, the tax warranties or the tax indemnities. They'll also be asked to make sure that the uh, steps at c- completion are able to be met. So often there's a count that will be required just after the completion takes place. Uh, it will be the accountants who do them. So it's important that they agree the timescales. Uh, often they'll even agree the format that they're going to be in. Um, and they'll also be asked often to check on the calculations and make sure the calculations are what they think they are. So if you start at a, a global price, but at completion, when we do this check, that check, and the other check, we're going to book X, Y, and Z off that figure. Um, I don't do maths. So I want the accountant to check that for me and make sure that is right. Um, and it all works down to the figure that the client thinks they're getting. And if they're happy, then I'm happy. Um, so it, it's still a team effort, but just a, a much lesser extent. They'll be asked set questions. They'll be given set sections to have a look at. Um, and it's really for the client's peace of mind. So the nothing is missed. We said at the outset, it's not advisable that people try and do this themselves. Of course, there is that big red button that you say, do not press, but occasionally people do 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 press that button and do want to try and do it themselves. So what happens if they do? Uh, what, what, what sort of things can we try and help or guide them about if that is the case? So if, if they have already done it themselves, or if they're, they're halfway through the process, it's still worth them speaking to us. So as we can see, A, is it too late for us to help them get the process itself right? Um, or, or B, is there just a few a few pointers that we can give them to try and stop it from going on in the future? If they are even late in the state, in, in the process, and something has gone wrong, then we can advise them as to whether it can be back on track in any way. Um, ultimately if it's even further than that and they're in a dispute then we can help with so there isn't a stage where it's completely out of our range to help but obviously once it gets past the stage where the business is sold uh, it's it's damage limitation at that stage rather than fixing uh, the problem in the first place. If people are either deciding they're going to set out on this process or even if they're halfway through what's the best approach to getting some advice? The best approach would be to set up an initial consultation with us in the first instance. And they can do that either by calling the office or downloading the app. Um, They can speak to myself or a member of the commercial team. Um, And we would basically find out where they were up to, advise them as to where they were and the best steps at that stage. And again, you know, if, if they're right at the start, then great. We can tell them how best 
to approach the um, the project in the right way, whether you're the buyer or the seller. If if you're not, if you're later on and you find yourself in a dispute, then w- w- we can try and solve the problem in the in the cheapest and quickest uh, and most painless way possible. Fantastic. Um, okay. Well, I think we've probably covered that as comprehensively as we can without going on for fifty years. Um, and getting boiled down to each and every section of that contract. Um, obviously, this is the contract element of it. What's the next part? What's what's part three that we're going to be covering? The next section we'll move on to is the disclosure section. And, and really what we'll spend most of our time talking about is how disclosures work and what effect they then have on the warranties. Uh, and there's a disclosure letter, which is usually agreed between the parties and then signed and, and censored. Uh, the time that the, the the sale is going through, um, and we'll set out examples really on how things will be limited and why they should be limited and the importance of that section. Um, it's normally quite a big work in in a transaction of, of a large size, and it's very very important for the seller. Um, so I've decided that it's it's best that we give that its its own show. Uh, and then it keeps it in nice sort of bite-sized chunks for everyone. Brilliant. So if you do want to get in touch with Johnson & Boone, as Rob said before, give them a ring. If you want to know all the details, if you go to the contact page on the Johnson & Boone website, which is johnsonandboone.co.uk, um, you can, there's a contact form there where you can email. Uh, there's an email address on there. The mobile app, again, fantastic way of getting in touch with the team. Um yeah, so I think that's uh, I think we've done that comprehensively as I think we can in in the time that we we tend to give ourselves. As I said at the outset, if anyone wants to listen to the previous shows, go and check them out. We cover a whole range of commercial uh, areas, which will probably be relevant to this topic if this has particularly captured your attention. But we of course do a load of other areas, so it can be from wills and probate to employment matters to divorce, child access, landlord and tenant stuff. Uh, There is really a a wide range of of content there, and it's all really, really useful stuff. Um, So go and check it out. Give us a five-star review as well. It's always nice to uh, receive a little bit of love from the internet sphere. Um, we We all like a little bit of a pat on the back every now and again, don't we, Rob? A little bit of praise goes a long way, doesn't it? It does. It also helps the show to be seen by more people in the list, which is great because if we can help more people, that's ultimately what the purpose is of of doing this show. Uh, Right, Rob, thank you very much. We will uh, speak again next week. Thanks, Mark. Good night now. Thanks for listening. Bye. Get social at Johnson & Boone on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.